0: What's going on guys? Welcome back to another episode of Food Please Podcast. And as you've noticed, if you're watching the video, I am back at the house studio and I'm joined by the cutest, sweetest presence. Um, My friend Kayla is in the house. She is from Move to Heal, which is this badass online community that supports people in taking control and participating in their own healing from traumas, from mental health illnesses, that's so um, good. Yeah, and she <laughs> would describe herself as someone who has fought relentlessly for her healing from personal trauma experiences that we're going to dive into and talk all about. Um, and without further ado, I want you to just tell the people who you are and what you're up well, to. Tell The
1: people, that <laughs> give it a, to them. That was a really good introduction. I, oh, I don't. Thank I feel like you. I can't even follow that up with anything. But what aside, are you, Okay.
0: <laughs> she's lying. She has so much to offer
1: <laughs> beyond that. <laughs> so. My name's Kayla, I'm the founder of the Move to Heal Project. The Move to Heal Project is what I call mental health focused fitness. It's um, an online community that is in place because of my own past experiences with anxiety, depression, and trauma. It's the community that I built um, that I needed eight years ago that didn't exist, Um, but essentially We place emphasis and focus on story sharing so that people know that they're not alone in what they're thinking and feeling, and we look at accessibility in regards to movement and connecting movement um, to the mind. So how can we move the body in a way that might be grounding, or how can we move the body in a way that might um, cultivate joy or empowerment? And I think that's part
0: of the caveat of having so much information available in our society today is we read articles that are impersonal that are making these really broad stroke speculations or recommendations for people like eat when you're hungry. That sounds simple Mm -hmm. enough. That should apply to everyone. Well, not necessarily. There are people (laughs) out there that experience trauma or that feel detached from their bodies that don't understand hunger cues. So if you make that recommendation to them, they can take it in the wrong way. And so that's where working one-on-one with someone to really understand the nuances of your life and the uniqueness of your experiences and relationship with food really is important. I think for everyone to go through at some point in their lives and it's okay To be an adult and not understand hunger cues yet because we just weren't taught that in school. And it's not a conversation that my parents and I had. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of those things you kind of just take for granted for most people. They just
1: expect you to know. On that notion as well, because I'm thinking trauma survivor, of course, you know, that's been my experience, but also there's maybe like a trauma plus environment. And for anyone that's in the restaurant industry that is listening, I was just having a talk with, I, I run with a group of people from the restaurant industry, it's called Food Runners, and we were just chatting about hunger cues um, as like after working in the restaurant industry, and being a trauma survivor working in restaurants for 10 years, you know, anyone that knows, <laughs> in restaurants you don't eat when everyone else eats, you eat, you're eating like early in the morning or super late at night, you're eating standing up Or you're taking a few bites, then going back to work. And I was so surprised when I shared my own experience with not recognizing a hunger cue, how many people who didn't have a trauma background were also in that boat of saying, like, my hunger cues are so skewed, Mm -hmm. um, just from, like, patterns and patterns and patterns. And it felt um, quite affirming because, you know, (laughs) I always think about how shame can't survive once you share absolutely Um, yeah yeah and
0: I think people don't really evaluate their lives or take the time to reflect and be like do I actually know what a hunger cue feels like Mm -hmm. for me for everybody it's different it's not just that like very cartoonish depiction of growling stomach or your stomach's like doing the wave thing (laughs) in a cartoon you know or it's like making noises um sometimes it can show up as headaches or feeling faint or lightheaded um or seeing spots or just like not being able to remember things or yeah Yeah. exactly keeping thoughts so it shows up in so many different ways and people just don't really take the time to take stock Mm -hmm. of what it is they're Mm -hmm. feeling. Okay, so going back to your particular experience and I guess the start of this specific trauma with food or with food being in your body, can you tell us the story of how that instance kind of started?
1: There's just so, there's so much trauma. (laughs) So... Leading up to the food trauma specifically, um, I was, I'm a sexual abuse survivor So from a young age. So I was sexually abused beginning from when I was six, on and off until I was 20. So when you're six um, and that happens, you learn that um, people aren't safe, things aren't safe, no one is safe. And it's a violation, right? So you learn that your own body isn't safe anymore because someone's violated it. And um, so that was my experience leading up to, that happened when I was six, and then when I was 17, I started noticing um, how much pain I had in my own body, specifically in my stomach area. And I, that pain intensified and got worse over the next year, I'd say, and I started to seek help from medical doctors and from specialists and I started rapidly losing weight, and I went on an elimination diet, and then I went on another elimination diet, and another one because they were trying to pinpoint what food was causing the pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was that in and of itself was traumatic because I learned that food uh, was hurting me, and at one point, at the worst part, I was 80 pounds, and um, the literally the only thing I was eating or that didn't bother my stomach was peanut butter, Millet, which is like a grain, a gluten-free grain, and uh, for some reason, coffee. It was like those three things, which is funny now because coffee is actually quite hard on the system, but I I would say that's where the trauma intensified because I was already a trauma survivor from this sexual abuse that was happening. Then I learned that food was not safe and that food hurt me, so when I was able to reintroduce foods again, I didn't want to. I just stopped eating because in my mind logically i was trying to avoid pain Mm -hmm. so i thought well it just makes sense if i don't eat because then i'll be pain free yeah um and that really continued on it took me a long time to heal what i found out later was that i had celiac disease but it was a severe case Um, but it took five to six years i'd say to heal and like heal internally (laughs) from that Um, and to gain weight again and um, I would say though that the thought processes around eating didn't really change Um, and then I of course fell into that habit of waking up drinking a coffee and then not eating anything until um, I don't know six or seven but then eating cautiously like is this gonna hurt me I don't know and any sign of pain or uncomfortability I just stopped. It's like a very real (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. Thanks for
0: holding space for of me. Of course. I think going back to what I said at the very beginning, it, it, through those stories, it's very clear that you are someone who's fought relentlessly for your happiness amidst all of these hard things. I know so many adults that have gone through elimination diets once, mm-hmm. and these are adults that have full-formed relationships with their bodies and with food and it still traumatized hmm. them. And it still sent them into a spiral of not trusting food, not trusting their own bodies, being hesitant, being afraid of certain foods. Um, I can't imagine being so young, going through that formative time in your life, and then having to redo the cycle over and over and over again, and still feeling pain. Like That's incredibly confusing and hurtful. So the fact that even years now, you're willing to open yourself up to learn new behaviors, new cycles, new habits. Like, that's so amazing. (laughs) So I know that you have a degree in psychology. Yes. And you've done a ton of certifications on traumas and whatnot. And, of course, you've learned over years of research for yourself Mm -hmm. and your own experience. So looking back now, um, what do you think were the mechanisms that were in place to set you up to, this, to get to this point where you were ready to heal, where you were ready to move to heal.
1: You, I, I love that! I one love in there. I'm obsessed. <laughs> um,
0: That's, yes. Got my dad cap on, so my dad jokes are coming in hot. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: so stupid. <laughs> Literally here for this. Um, um, the sexual abuse... Um, and the food trauma were two big ones, but outs- this is important context when mm-hmm. I say this, but there's also like physical abuse, emotional abuse, um, like grief, mm-hmm. like deaths of close friends, um, apparent passing, like a lot of stuff happening. Um, and I would say I hit a rock bottom in uh, 2013, So if you experience trauma, repeated trauma over an extended period of time, like over and over and over and over and over again, it's always happening, Um, you can can numb as a way of coping, Mm -hmm. not feel anything, like not cry, which was definitely me. At one point, I said to my mom, I feel like Dexter from, not in a serial... Killer capacity. I'll cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> My first Not murderer a, on the podcast. No. Yay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Not in a serial killer capacity, but if you've watched Dexter, you know how, like, emotionless he is, but you can experience what's called a last a last straw trauma, where something happens and then you don't just feel the emotions from that trauma, you feel the emotions from all the previous traumas at once. Mm, so it feels geez. literally so overwhelming. Uh, That happened in 2013. I was diagnosed with complex post-traumatic stress disorder during that time and I would say in response to your question the first thing that helped me was having a friend hold space for me, like a safe friend hold space for me and up until that point I had never asked for help because I was operating on the notion that I didn't need anyone and I could do it by myself. Um, also, as a trauma survivor, you know, I'm distrustful. For sure. People have hurt you. Yes, and
0: things and food have hurt you. Yes. Yeah. So I
1: would say the first thing was like learning how to ask for support from safe people. And then I would say the second huge thing was um, a woman that I met. Uh, her name was Lindsay, working in Muskoka, and she drove me she drove me to counseling there, trauma counseling once a week. Even though we were working in the restaurant industry, we were working like 13 hour days. So she drove me to counseling and she really helped me form a new narrative. That the best way I can describe it is like she literally lit a fire under my ass and was like, You are not broken. You are not, um, this is not your story. Like, there's more for you. Now's the time to start fighting. Like, embrace who you are. Like, you got this. And it was a narrative I've never heard before. And um, she was so, she is so strong. And she was, like, integral in my healing process. Um, I've just, like, also never had someone so fiercely hold space for me and advocate for me before. Mm -hmm. So to summarize those first two points, I would say, like, leaning into safe people and letting them support me were huge And then I would also say, like, shout out to my trauma therapist because (laughs) I, um, in and around that time, started seeing a a trauma specific therapist and she's actually changed my life. But then I guess, like, the last one would be of course, movement has helped me find healing. Um, That's why I started the Move to Heal project. Like, I found so much um, strength and power and uh, comfort in moving my body in a way that feels useful for me, like, with the choice around that.
0: What were some, like, emotions or
1: beliefs that were coursing through your head at the start of your healing journey? Um, the worst one, I would say, was huge self-loathing. Like, Yeah. That's
0: common. Yeah. At the start of healing, when you're confronting, like, so who you are for
1: the first time. It me. hurts. Yeah, self-loathing, like, in... My ne- my inner critic was so negative that basically, I just believed that I was like worthless, a throwaway, that no one wanted me, um, that there was no point in trying to get better because I didn't have anything to offer the world. Yeah. Um, I also had this belief that I was like deserved to feel upset and sad. And I had a huge narrative around abandonment. It's like Mm. that people abandoned me. I was taken to the hospital during this time by someone close to me because he was afraid that I was going to harm myself. And I didn't want to kill myself, but I just wanted the voice in my head to stop. Yes,
0: that's a huge distinction.
1: I was in the wing of the hospital in Waterloo and... It was also a very pivotal moment in regards to the formation of the Move to Heal project because I spoke with the doctor and he asked me right away if I wanted to kill myself and I said no but it's bad like I don't know how to escape these feelings and he essentially was like you're not bad enough for us to ad- like bad enough for us to admit you anywhere and I just thought that's crazy like there's people sleeping on the floor of this mental health unit like every bed was full and still like the feelings that I felt were so overwhelming but then people were feeling worse or like taking action on it and I felt like I was in this big gray zone like how do I move forward because there's no help available
0: yeah and that really
1: illuminates
0: the flaws of our system is so many people fall through the cracks unfortunately and it it pains me to say this, but if you're not sick enough by yeah. these like arbitrary standards, if you don't tick all the boxes on their chart, then they can't help
1: you. Mm-hmm. But who can? Because mm-hmm. you clearly couldn't at the time, mm-hmm. right? You needed help, mm-hmm. and that's what you were there for. Because at the center of all trauma, we like I know this now, but <laughs> at the center of all trauma is a loss of control and choice, so that like perpetuates a feeling of helplessness. So. Yeah. Those were my top three. So the name of your collective is Move to
0: Heal. Yes. And you did touch on that earlier. Um, this That's idea of using movement to facilitate healing and uh, processing emotions and information. So what about movement do you think can mend scars?
1: What about movement can mend scars? I would say for me, you know, everyone's connect- Everyone's connection to movement might be be different or look different Different. or feel different i found a tremendous amount of healing through movement because of the choice that it offered so like i said before um, a lot of trauma survivors struggle with um, choice because at the center of all trauma is a loss of choice so In 2010, when I did my yoga training, it was literally the first time in my life where I realized that I could move my body in the way that I wanted to. And that notion, in and of itself, was so empowering. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say choice for sure. And I would also say, physiologically, our bodies are the way we move our body can help us. And we know this, it's science. So I was talking to my doctor about this, actually. Shout out to my doctor. She's amazing. Just shouting out your entire I,
0: medical team. I am. We've got trauma <laughs> therapists. We've got doctor.
1: I'm literally, this is also a good side note point. You need a team of people behind you that you trust, especially when your own. it's like your own mental and physical health. Like, I switched doctors and therapists until I found Um, Ones that I liked if you move your body for 45 minutes Consistently like in a cardio state where your heart rate is elevated. It has the effect um, The same effect as one antidepressant
0: Whoa, yeah, which is
1: producing endorphins and whatnot I guess that's where I've really been able to find my healing, you know making these choices around movement in regards to my mood so if I'm feeling if I'm feeling anxious How can I move in a way that might calm my nervous system? Like, legs up the wall is really good for that. Mm -hmm. Um, How can I move or run in a way that might cultivate joy or a feeling of empowerment? And, like I just said, you know, 45 minutes or a spin class. I don't want to say that movement is like the way because I believe in, you know, the support of a licensed therapist. I think that movement can be a really useful adjunct. You know, everyone's different. Fair enough. I think in my
0: own experience, movement was a gateway. Yes. It was easy. It took a lot less. It cost a lot less money. Mm -hmm. And it took a lot less time. Mm -hmm. Um, And it gave me not a sense of control that was healthy, but it just gave me this sense of ownership over my well-being and my body that was empowering. Knowing that this is my body. Mm -hmm. I can do whatever I want with it. I can do good things or I can do bad things to it. And I can choose to do good things. I think that's something that people take for granted Mm -hmm. on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. Everybody's fighting a different struggle. Everybody has a different narrative in their heads. And for a lot of people out there, ownership over their lives isn't part of that narrative.
1: Especially with uh, trauma survivors, uh, specifically of sexual abuse the trauma is in the body so the healing has to begin in the body Mm -hmm. so one way to begin healing in the body is to move it in a way that feels that is like choice based Mm -hmm. and that can connect to what you just said a sense of ownership and also what we call a sense of agency which is who am I what do I want what what work do I want to do in the world out of the Trauma Center in uh, Boston, mm-hmm. sorry, in Brookline, Massachusetts, where my, I did my certification. They work with so many uh, trauma survivors doing Trauma Sense of Yoga, which is what I'm certified in. And uh, the founder was actually talking about how they were doing exit interviews on um, participants of this program, and one of the participants said, this program has helped me so much as a trauma survivor because... I used to always walk into the grocery store and not know what I wanted. And now when I walk into a grocery store, I know exactly what I want. To draw from my own experience, I used to walk into restaurants and it would take me 40 minutes to decide what to drink Mm because I didn't know. And people were always like, "You're indecisive," it, but it wasn't about that. It really was about so something so much bigger. And now I would say I'm super like, "This is what I want. I know what I want, and give it to me now. Give it to me now." <laughs> <laughs> it's like all ties in together. That
0: ties in really well with our experience working together.
1: Yes, that it does. was
0: something that you know, even though you had done all this amazing work on your own, um, there were still things that. Seemed small mm-hmm. that really triggered you. Oh yes, yeah, like drinking water.
1: was Oh one my of them. god, I <laughs> can't. Uh, I think I can pinpoint that water trauma for anyone that has had trauma surrounding drinking water. It's a very real thing. But when I was really sick and close to death, I'd say I had to get all these like upper GI tests, um, like and lower GI as well, and um, like I was scanned for AIDS cancer, like literally everything was coming back negative, but for one of the tests, I can't remember which one it was, I had to drink magnesium citrate, oh God. like a big bottle, and then immediately drink two liters of water. And I remember standing in my kitchen thinking, I'll never drink water again, and that's for sure where it came from. Mm. And then you just poo for like, yeah. fo- like 48 centri- hours. Yep,
0: it's a laxative when people even now when people take magnesium as a supplement yeah um, if they take too much that will move it's right through, through you the, open
1: the gates yeah
0: open the gates to heaven <laughs> I
1: took magnesium last night but just a little tiny baby yeah about, like oh, you a little learned. like for yes I
0: did and then another thing that seemed to be difficult was obviously like increasing the amount that you were eating because as you alluded mm-hmm. before that was something that you weren't doing is you didn't like the feeling of of having food in your stomach and trying new foods or trying different combinations of foods that felt really fearful Mm -hmm. and like there was hesitation towards that so for us it was all about doing things in baby steps and Mm -hmm. meeting you where you're at and kind of reframing food from this terrifying potential threat to a friend to something that helps you do more of what you love about your life. Yes. Yeah. Why do you think food is so hard to navigate on our own?
1: I think it's hard to navigate because we are all conditioned differently. Um, For example, my friend Kat has two kids, and she has been growing um, vegetables in their garden and she said, my kids eat everything that they grow, which I'm obsessed with, and it appears as though they're developing really positive um, narratives around food early, and I didn't have that, for example. I just um, ate what was modeled for me by my own family, Um, and I'm not like placing blame anywhere. I'm saying, you know, everyone has their own My mom ate in a certain way because that's what she learned from her parents and Mm -hmm. those can be passed down through um, generations and so I think it's hard to navigate because we've all learned differently and we all cope differently too. I mean like food can can help us cope.
0: Um, I think with any sort of substance abuse, and that's not necessarily just like overeating or overindulging or overdrinking, whatever the substance is, it could also be undereating too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just this idea of manipulating this certain thing um, to cope with your emotions. Um, with food, it's something that you have to eat every day. You know, if you don't, you literally can't survive. So that's hard. It's like this mandatory confrontation every day yeah with it so even if you're like oh, i won't eat i won't drink alcohol for 30 days which a lot of people do in january that's fine out of sight out of mind keep it out of the house but with the food You can't really do that. It's everywhere you go, you have to keep it at home. And especially if you're in a family or you live with other people, you don't have so much control over their food choices Mm -hmm. and dietary patterns. Mm -hmm. So that can be very triggering. So I think that's where having this point of anchor or like objective opinion on what you should be doing really helps. Um, And like, like I was saying, when I was in university, I couldn't see what I was doing wrong because I was living it, even though I had all these tools and all this information in my head about nutrition. I could help someone else with the same problems, but I can't help myself.
1: So interesting.
0: Mm -hmm. I want to tie it back to to healing um, because that's kind of the theme of this episode. Um, For someone who's just starting out on their healing journey, who may not know all the right things to say or how to ask for help, what would be
1: your best advice? Um, to getting started with that? I don't like asking for help. (laughs) It's still something I struggle with. And I would say really the first step is learning how to ask for help. However, that can be very scary. And so I always talk about the book, Safe People. It's by John Townsend, but it's, it's hard to ask for help, but it's easier to ask for help from someone who's safe. So a safe person is someone typically who is kind, non-judgmental, compassionate, empathetic, um, won't twist or manipulate things around, won't be blaming. As a trauma survivor, it was really hard for me to distinguish who was safe because I had a skewed version mm-hmm. of love. So so true. Yeah, so I, I remember calling a friend and saying, I don't know if if I can trust this person or I don't know if they're safe because love for me was like chaos and cruelty. And that felt safe because it was what I knew. So there was a lot of... It was familiar. Exactly. So I think in those like first steps to reaching out, um, I would say despite the mental confusion, I still knew what safety looked like because I could feel it as a visceral response so around safe people I felt um, my body could like relax a little bit and my heart wasn't racing so like looking to those cues if you're struggling with well who is safe but I think taking that first step that's on you no
0: one in the world can make you feel safe enough to do that until you let yourself know that it's safe yes another thing I love for beginners I think is just reading up or just absorbing as much material as you can on the topic matter. So if you're someone who survived sexual abuse, then read up on the, mm-hmm. you know, the research on it, on um, what other people's experiences were like. I think that gives you language to communicate how you feel. Because you might not know that, oh, I am feeling destructive or I am feeling so X, Y, and Z until you read that someone else has the same experience as you. And then you're like,
1: oh, uh, that's what I felt. You're right. I mean, as crazy as social media is, um, mm-hmm. the nice thing about its progression is that it's easier to find affirmation for your feelings online For example, I was just on TikTok before I came here. People are talking about everything on TikTok. You can, whatever thread you're looking for, it's there. Like, people are getting honest and open and talking about addiction, you know, abuse, uh, trauma. And they're sharing their stories in 60 seconds. And um, 10 years ago, that really didn't exist. Mm -hmm. The first place where I felt affirmed was a little tiny clinic in Muskoka with, like, 30 other women who were also survivors of abuse and it felt so relieving you yeah. can be so proud and so stubborn but at the end of the
0: day to be seen and to be validated mm-hmm. that shit feels good no it matter how proud you are how like so good you are
1: i feel like i met you at the right time um i also feel like to speak to your awesomeness I don't like everyone, and this is what Judith Herman says. She's a uh, renowned psychiatrist, and she says we never heal uh, in isolation. We always heal in community. But I want to insert a little extra quote in there. Just be like we we heal with the right the right community. Mm-hmm. Um, And I I feel like you were the right person for me. And so I would encourage anyone that's listening, You know, sometimes it takes a few tries to find the right doctor, find the right therapist. But once you get that right match, Mm -hmm. it can then be life-changing. But sometimes I think people will settle and they'll think like, oh, this is what it it is. And then they won't progress. Um, So you're awesome. Oh,
0: thank you. (laughs) Um, Again, I paid her to say that. Oh, thank you so much for all of your candor and your vulnerability I think that's what I love the most about you is just how open you are to helping others with your story it's a beautiful beautiful quality before I let you go and um, plug all of your information
1: I want to play rapid-fire round. Of I'm obsessed. Are you ready? Yes. Where were you born? Hamilton, Ontario. The hammer! The, <laughs> is it called the hammer? The hammer. Ah! What is your favorite animal? A dog.
0: Obviously. Oh, Dogs. Doges. How do you take your coffee?
1: Bulletproof or Oof. in a latte form? Yum, mm. like
0: yum, yum. Some yum. sort of steamed alternative milk. Um, what's your favorite sport to watch?
1: Um, okay. It's not so much about the sport for me as it is the team, to be honest. Oh. It's like a re- like if Canada's or Toronto's playing, then I'm like. Any sport. I'm a relational human. Oh, so I it's love like that. Any sport, but it's like, it's more about the team. So loyal. I am. So loyal. Yeah. Uh, what would be your last meal on earth? Um, the macaroni and cheese from the eve <laughs> Bible camp that I used to cancel out. Oh my god! I was like, which restaurant is Bible
0: camp? No. Is that on Ossington?
1: <laughs> I feel like it would be on <laughs> Is that like a
0: hipster? New hipster one in the garage? Uh, you know you know the garage, the Ossington Tire space?
1: <laughs> Can you imagine? That's a good concept.
0: Yo, that's a camp. great concept.
1: Bible camp! Nobody steal this. Hey yo, but like the people in the kitchen at this Bible camp, uh, I went to a Mennonite high school and um... If, if you did go to like a Mennonite high school as well, you know, like Mennonites use like so much butter in their cooking, like white flour, but it's butters, like good like. butter. Okay, this macaroni and cheese was epic. If you know, you know. I was thinking about how I'm celiac and that wouldn't be good, but then I thought, well, no, that is a good meal. It's your because final meal. It's your final meal, so it doesn't really matter. So, Do macaroni the fuck and cheese with Cam. Yeah. <laughs> Available on
0: Ossington. <the laughs> <laughs> what's your Literally go-to um guys. what's your go-to spin song like for spinning oh yeah like what gives you like the the pump like
1: one um two my go-to spin song i really like wreak havoc it's called by skylar gray is oh, a, great a great one voice. um my go-to pump up song is blessed by vici what's the favorite place you've
0: ever visited in the world venice Ooh, very magical. magical. Yes. I romantical. cried in Venice.
1: I was so moved by how beautiful it was. And I understand that the water is sewage, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like, I really loved Venice. What is a quote
0: that motivates you? I feel like you dropped a lot of really good quotes this yes.
1: episode. One of my favorites is, We either make ourselves miserable or we make ourselves strong. The amount of work is the same.
0: Woo! Think on that! Yeah. People at home, they um if you weren't working in something like move to heal
1: like what would be a fun alternative career option i would be doing theater uh i love being on stage so oh, I, I would say theater probably yeah. Fun!
0: Yeah. um okay what's your favorite kombucha flavor or flavor combo you think i should try
1: my favorite kombucha flavor is the ginger it's by tonic brand tonica tonica the ginger okay it's ginger Okay. See, the only kombucha I drink is ginger. Okay. Got it. So it's like, kind of tastes like sparkling water. Is Chanaka a brand? Yeah. It yeah. Is brand. Okay. It's the ginger one. Okay. It's like a little green label.
0: Cool. Well, where can people find you at home if they want to keep up?
1: Yes. So you can find me on Instagram at Kayla Meredith, Kayla with a C, C A Y L A, Meredith, or at Moved Heal Project. And you have an upcoming eight-week program that launches November 1st. I do. So the eight-week program is a cent- It's called the Thrive Program, which I'm super pumped about. Cute name. And essentially, it teaches others how to fully participate in their own healing. So the context around this is when I was at the lowest of my low and was turned away from any medical help, I was in this space thinking like, what am I supposed to do? I don't know where to go, like I don't know how to help myself. Um, I was in, I was actually, I went to my family doctor, was enrolled in a day program, I showed up to the day program and I left because it was in a white room with like metal chairs. I don't know where I can seek help and I don't know how to help myself. So in looking back on that, that's why I created this program. And this program comes back to what I call the building blocks of mental health maintenance. So there's a week on um, self-care and self-kindness. I didn't know what either of those things were because they were never modeled for me. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a week on self-affirmation and like how to challenge your inner narrative. There's a week on power and also a week on worthiness. Um, And then there's... It's all coupled with movement, so yoga oh. or running. So it essentially just um, teaches you how to come back and nurture those building blocks and, or learn how to nurture those building blocks because a lot of people don't know how, yeah. and I sure didn't know how. Um, So again, it's like creating a program that I would have really loved back then, but didn't exist. Um, I love
0: that. What a perfect way to end off the year to like go into 2021 being like, fuck that bullshit. That was 2020. Yeah. This is the new me. Like I have new tools to navigate this year. And I can't wait to hear all about it. New year, new me. So message me
1: if you want to chat.
0: Yes. And you guys can follow me, Corinne, at kombucha.mami on Instagram. That's M A M I. And of course, follow the podcast at Booch Please Podcast, all one word. And uh, we'll see
1: you guys in the next episode. Bye.